Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Some things are not meant to last, but some things are meant to last, and faith is one of them. We want to read about three men in Hebrews 11 whose faith survived all the way to the end of their life. Hebrews 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Three men of faith and their particular declarations of faith are mentioned here. The first one is Isaac, and it says that Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. If we were to go back to Genesis 27:29, we would hear Jacob, we would hear Isaac say this to Jacob, "Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone that curses you and blessed be those who bless you." Isaac looked at his well, he didn't look at his son. He felt his son, he was blind, nearly blind, and he said, "This is what's going to happen to you in the future." He blessed him concerning things to come. Now, he also ended up blessing Esau. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. He also blessed Esau, but not in the same way. But he made a faith declaration about the future. The second person mentioned here is Jacob. And if we were to go back to Genesis 48, we would find Ephraim and Manasseh, the twin sons of Joseph, being blessed by Jacob, and he said this, let my name be upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob said, the blessing of Abraham that came through Isaac and came to me is now going to pass to these two boys. He was talking about things still in the future. And turn with me back to Genesis 50. We want to read the blessing, or the the, the faith declaration at the end of the life of Joseph. He made an, an amazing statement, a statement that showed he really understood God. Genesis 50, verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He and his father's household, they'd all come down to join him because of the famine. They didn't know they were going to be joining him until they got there. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim, Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machar, the, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you. 
and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph said, God is going to do something for you. He's going to do something in you, and you are going to be able to return to the land of promise, the land of Israel. What are the similarities in their faith? I think the first similarity is this. The size of God's promise was huge. Turn back to Genesis 22. Let's look at God's promise given to Abraham that he passed on by faith to his son. Genesis 22, 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing. He was prepared to sacrifice Isaac according to God's uh, command. He says, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Is that a big promise or a little promise? <laughs> That's a huge promise. That's just huge. God said, Abraham, your descendants will be like the sand of the sea. I know folks that don't have any descendants. Abraham, God says, you're, you're, you're going to cover the earth with people. There's going to be so many people, you can't count them. And the blessing, all nations will be blessed through you. What a huge, incredible promise. And did Abraham look at that and go, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Seeing's believing, God. No. Abraham said, yes. And when it got time for his son to be blessed and to, to essentially take the family uh, name and heritage and inheritance... Abraham passed it right on to him. Abraham didn't say, well, Isaac, you know, God told me about something. <sighs> really incredible, but you know, frankly, not much has happened. So, you know, for what it's worth, here you are. No, he gave it to him straight on, full force. He said, wow, here's a great blessing. You know, if we stop and think about what God has promised us, it's just as huge God has promised us that there will be a generation of people on the earth in which Christ will come and take all the believers off the earth without dying. Is that a, is that a small promise? <laughs> that's a big one. You know, in our words, we'd say, that's just incredible. That's awesome. That's, you know, unbelievable. It's just as unbelievable as God saying, Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the sand of the sea. And yet Abraham said, yes. God says he's going to give us heaven. We just read about it this morning in my Sunday school class with gates of pearl. In fact, it says one pearl for a gate. 
Wow. Streets of gold. Absolute righteousness. A crown reward for our faithfulness. Is that a big promise or a small promise? Well, I think that's a big promise. And I think when some people who don't know Christ look at us and look at our faith, they go, wow, that's just, now that's just phenomenal. That's just too much. I just can't believe that. And that really is the challenge. Can you believe that God is going to do what he said? We could look at some of the huge promises God has given us for this day and in this time when he says he has promised us peace in the midst of difficulty. God says, I can make you peaceful. I can give you peace and joy right now, even though your life is in turmoil. Man, that's a miracle. God has promised you meaning and purpose in life. You don't just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It's not just the one with the most toys who wins. There's real meaning and real purpose, and it can go all the way to the end of our life. God has promised us forgiveness. Wiping clean of the slate. Is that a big thing or a small thing? Well, I think that's a big thing. God has made huge promises to us just like he did to Abraham. The size of God's promise for Abraham was huge. The other similarity that he has with Isaac and Jacob is this. The timing of God's promises was unknown. Back in Hebrews 11, a key phrase seems to be this one, that he made, he, he blessed them concerning things to come. In verse 20 it says that. None of these men got to see the fulfillment of the blessing they put onto their Son, none of them. None of them got to see the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. I mean, here is, here is Joseph. Joseph was one of 12, Jacob, their father. And here they are in the land, um, Palestine, Israel, whatever you want to call that piece of turf right there at that time. They're there, and because of a famine, they have to leave. So, wait a minute, God, you said that was going to be our land. Now we all have to leave and move to Egypt. Now we're stuck down here in Egypt. And Jacob, or, or Joseph didn't flinch. He said, you know what? Surely God will visit you and you will go back. And when you do, you take my bones with you because that is my place, not Egypt. But the timing of God's promises was unknown. God had promised, but there was no evidence of the fulfillment at, that, at the point at which these three men repeated God's promise to their sons. Here's a question. Does God let us understand exactly how and when everything will work out according to his promises? No. And that's where we live. That's the rough spot. Because we look at his promises and, and we know God doesn't lie, but we look at our life and man, it's a tough one right now. We come to those hard points. Oh, come on, God. Some people even long for death. I've talked to folks, boy, I'd just like to die. Just anything to get out of here. And so the timing is tough. That's where the faith comes in. <laughs> I mean, Joseph is in Egypt saying, God's going to take you back there. 
He doesn't know when. He just knows he's about to die. There's a third thing that's common in these three men, and that is this. Their confidence in God's promise was unshakable. If you know anything about your Bible and about uh, these men, you know that Isaac and Jacob are not stellar examples of the children of God. You know that even in the giving of these promises, there was some, uh, some monkey business, some chicanery, some fooling around that, that we look at it and we go, what in the world? Why would God allow his chosen men to be that way? And why would he tell us about it in the Bible? Well, I think he tells us about it because if every single person in the Bible was like Joseph, Joseph who consistently, as far as we see in the Bible, every day of Joseph's life, he made the right choice and he constantly moved forward with God, even though in his earthly life there were all kinds of setbacks, but he never wavered all of his life, day by day, moving forward, moving forward. Do you know what? If every example in the Bible is like Joseph, there's a whole bunch of us that say, man, I can't do that. Or we'd look back in our life and we'd say, I haven't done that. But some of us are like Jacob. Some of us are like Isaac. And you know what? It's still possible to come to unshakable faith at the crunch time. When I take a good look in the mirror, I thank God that he is able to use less than perfect folks. John MacArthur said this about uh, Isaac and Jacob. These men had not always lived faithfully. They trusted God imperfectly, just as we do. While there was some fluctuation in some aspects of their lives, all three of these men came to the end of their lives with rock-solid faith in God. And so we come to the really important question today, which is this. How did they remain unshakable in their faith, and how can we do the same? Well, I think Hebrews 11 tells us this in verse 13 and verse 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. In other words, God didn't give them great blessings so that they could sit around and go, oh, okay, everything's fine. No, they were still looking ahead when they died and trusting God. But having seen them afar off, they were assured of them or became confident in them. They embraced them, uh, not embraced as in hugged and gripped onto but it literally means to salute them. They saw them and they said, there it is. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I want to talk to you about two disciplines of faith. And the first one is this. Faith requires the discipline of an eternal focus. These guys took a look at the promises of God, which were future and, of course, they didn't know how future. It actually was several thousand years until Christ came, which is the real way that all peoples of the earth have been blessed according to that one promise. But they just looked down there and said, God's going to do it. But they were focused on God. They were focused on eternity. They were focused on his things, not the things of this earth. They saw the promise and they greeted it. They embraced it. Turn with, me, turn with me back a few pages to Colossians. Colossians 3. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 3, verse 1. If you then were raised with Christ, and this could best be translated since you have been raised with Christ, it's, it's written in this uh, conditional form because somebody who reads it might not have accepted Christ yet. But if or since you accepted Christ, you were raised with him out of the grave, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The question we need to ask today, the, the, the thing that will build our faith is this. What is the focal point of your mind and heart? What is it you meditate on? What is it you think about? What is it your mind runs over day to day? Are you... You know, sometimes when we get into a, a difficulty, it could be an illness, all we think about is how sick we are, how sick we are, how sick we are. Do you know one of the reasons why placebos, why some people get better when they take a placebo or a false medicine? It's because they assume they're supposed to be getting better, and they start looking at them saying, well, I'm, I'm a little better here and I'm a little better there. They start focusing on what is positive and not... Christians often can get focused on their illness, get focused on the hardship. There's a family difficulty. There's, there's somebody at work that's hard to get along with. And if you focus on the difficulty, you will come to a point where you sit and go, oh, poor me. My life is so bad. It's so hard. And you know what? That is true. You've got a hardship in your life. But you know what God commends us and commands us to focus our mind on? It's him and the promises he has for us now and in the future. Is your mind set on God and on Christ and on the things he's going to do for us? Or is it set here, all in this planet? You know, I, I have a sore knee today. I could just sit and think about my sore knee until it's so sore I can't go to church. Well, that's silly. There's so many great things the Lord has done. That's just one little ache and pain. But you know, we do that with our life. Think of Joseph. You, you know, here's Joseph. He has a dream. God says, Joseph, you're going you're gonna to be the big dog. All your brothers are going to bow down to you. Your mom and dad are going to bow down to you. And, and he, Joseph, he, he runs right up and says, Hey, bros, I had a dream. You're all going to bow down to me. They go, oh! Next thing you know, he's in a pit. Next thing you know, he's sold into slavery. Did Joseph sit and go, oh, poor me. Oh, man, my life's in the toilet. You know what, seemed, what must have carried Joseph? He said, man, someday my brothers are going to bow down to me. Wow. He kept thinking about God's truth. And even at the end of his life, he says, brothers, God's going to do something. And take you all back to Israel and take me with you. Even though I'm dead, take me with you. Faith requires the discipline of an eternal focus. While God says, don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. If you're struggling to believe, I want to challenge you this morning to get your 
eyes off of this world and get them onto the eternal world. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph were all focused on the heavenly dwelling place. Look at, look at Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 13 says they confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They didn't say my residence, my permanent place of living is the earth. I am an earthling. He said, no, this is just a temporary place. And in verse 16, it says, now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. They said, man, we're, we're, just on, we're just like on a mission trip here, and we're headed back home. Now, this month, we're emphasizing themes of stewardship. We've been working our way through, through Hebrews, but these two things come marvelously together because as we consider your giving to the Lord and your giving of your time and your effort to the Lord, we need to understand that your how you handle your material wealth is a thermometer of your spiritual perspective. You say, what do you mean? Well, can you afford to give to God or do you have to hang on to everything you get because you've got to take care of yourself and this is your world and this is your life and you're trying to build something and do something and leave something for your children and all this stuff here. Or do you look up into heaven and see God's eternal plan and think, hey, you know what? God's got some people he wants to save over there in Africa, so we're going to send a missionary over there. So I'm going to let loose of some of this money and not worry so much about my kid's inheritance or worry about the greenhouse I want to build or whatever it is and say, God, here, take this and use it. Because I'm looking to God. I'm not looking this. This is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Or is it your home? These men that are touched on here in Hebrews said, this is not my home, that's my home. They kept their focus on the eternal. If you are focused on the things of this earth, you are not going to support God's work in any significant way, either with your time or with your money. But if you can catch a vision of God and of what he is doing and what he wants to do both in you and through you, wow. The first discipline of faith is to take your gaze off earthly things and set it on eternal realities. The second discipline of faith is this. Faith requires ears that are tuned to God's voice. Faith requires ears that are tuned to God's voice. Who are you listening to? Who are the people, who are the influences that are shaping your heart and life? Abraham listened to God. Jacob spoke directly with God. Joseph had dreams from God. When Joseph told his family about the dream, they just turned on him. But Joseph never let go of God's word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10, please. Romans chapter 10 is talking to us particularly about salvation, but the principle is, is true for all of our Christian life. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? It's talking about calling on God for salvation. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 17 summarizes by saying, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, 
if you want to look at this from a really silly, foolish perspective, to take it to its extreme, nobody can accept Christ as their Savior until the truth of God's Word comes into their ears or into their eyes. A person could be deaf but able to read. Somehow the truth of God has to permeate into a person's mind before that person can say, yes, I believe that. Okay, it's a very simplistic truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if we just stop and realize how profound it is, we realize you can only be a person of faith if you are listening to God and not the world. People in the world are not going to encourage you to believe in God. Did you know that? Am I telling you something new? The discipline of faith is to listen to God's truth, not the ideas of the world. Listen to Paul in Galatians 1.10. Paul said about himself, he said, Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be the servant of Christ. There is wisdom in the world. I'm not saying it's good wisdom. I'm just saying it's the wisdom of the world. It gets passed around. Sometimes it takes on Christian clothing. It's not really Christian. It just tends to look that way. And if you listen to it, it will take you away from that focus on God and put your focus right on this world. There are Christian people who will tell you in your personal difficulty that it's okay for you to focus on yourself. You need some me time. Some of you are scratching your head going, yeah, I do. You're deciding whether or not right now whether you like me. God says you don't need any more me time. You need some him time. If you're in a difficult place in your personal life right now, I guarantee you focusing on yourself will make it worse. But focusing on God will make it better. Paul said, there's a great dichotomy, Paul said. I'm either going to please mankind or I'm going to please God. It can't be both. Jesus stated the immutable principle in Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches. Now here he's talking, he's applying that principle specifically to money, but the principle I think is much broader than that, especially in that chapter that ends with those great words about not worrying about today, you know, or not worrying about tomorrow, just focus on God's will for you in your life. If you are consumed with the stuff of this life, whether it be a relationship with a person that you can't live without or some possession you just have to have or some circumstance that if it doesn't change, your life will fall apart. If you are consumed with the stuff of this life, you will not be a person of faith in God. Oh, sure, you, you may have saving faith, but you won't be the faithful person who's trusting him and encouraging others to do the same. If you want to be a person of faith, you must tune your ears to God's voice and shut out the voice of the world around you. These three that we've read about all made declarations. Two of them in particular made declarations near the very end of their life. John MacArthur noted this in his commentary. He said, death is the acid test of faith. 
When I was in Tukwila, I had dozens and dozens of opportunity to be with people at the end of their life or be there with their loved ones when, when that person had just died. And I can't say a hearty enough amen to that. Death is the acid test of faith. I only remember, I only ever remember one man with a smile and tears at the same time who said, I know where my mama is. And he was happy for her because he had personally led her to Christ about three months before. These guys came to the end of their life and they didn't flinch in their faith in God. I have a friend named Gordon Blair. Gordon used to be alive here. Now he's alive in heaven. Gordon Blair was one of the happiest, most positive guys I've ever known. Trusted the Lord. The Lord blessed him financially, and he used it for the Lord. Before Gordon died, and he knew he was going to die, he made an audio tape. And people came to the funeral, and they heard, Hi, everybody, I'm in heaven! <laughs> yes! He said, I want you to listen to Pastor Kurt as he talks. Oh, man. There's a guy who knew the end was coming. And he said, yeah, baby, I'm ready to go, and I want everybody else to be ready to go. Are you going to finish well in your life of faith? What's going to be your dying declaration? If you focus on eternity now and listen to God, not the world, you will be named among God's faithful Heavenly Father, it's so easy for us to focus on this world, to listen to this world. Lord, sharpen our spiritual hearts today so that we might see the little ways in which we are grabbing a hold of this world and not grabbing a hold tighter to, to eternity and the realities of you. Make us people of faith as we grab a hold to you and listen to your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life. <laughs>